welcome to Russian History Retold. Episode 270, The Moscow Trials. Last time, we finished the monumental series on one of Russia's greatest heroes, Mikhail Kutuzov. Today, we will tell the story of the infamous Moscow Trials, also known as the Show Trials, which were held between 1936 and 1938. I will be relying on four books to tell the story of this horrific period of time in the Soviet Union. First, Russia, A Thousand-Year Chronicle of the Wild East by Martin Sixsmith. Stalin, The Court of the Red Tsar by Simon Sebag Montefiore. Former People, The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith. And On Stalin's Team, The Years of Living Dangerously in Soviet Politics by Sheila Fitzpatrick. The Moscow show trials were part of the more extensive operation known as the Great Purge, a topic I will cover later this year in a multi-part series. The focus of the Moscow trials was the destruction of the old Bolsheviks, those men and women who Stalin viewed as a threat to his control of the Soviet Union. There would be three main trials in total. The first would be called the case of the Trotskyite Zinoviite Terrorist Center, also known as the Zinoviev Kamenev trial, and also known as the Trial of the Sixteen which would be held in August 1936. The second, held in January 1937, was named the case of the anti-Soviet Trotskyist Center, also known as the Piatikov-Radik trial, or the trial of the 17. The third and final trial was known as the case of the anti-Soviet Block of Rights and Trotskyists, or the Bukharin-Rikov trial, also known as the Trial of the 21, held in March 1938. The defendants were predominantly old Bolshevik party leaders and top officials of the Soviet secret police. Most were charged under Article 58 of the RSFSR Penal Code with conspiring with imperialist powers to assassinate Stalin and other Soviet leaders, dismember the Soviet Union, and restore capitalism. As Stalin put it, quote, we will destroy every enemy, even if he is an old Bolshevik. We will destroy his kin, his family, anyone who by his actions or thoughts encroaches on the unity of the socialist state, we shall destroy relentlessly. Note the use of the word thoughts in his statement. It gave the secret police and communist officials the right to pretty much arrest and execute anyone. The first show trial was all Stalin's idea, with NKVD head Genrik Yagoda initially leading it. Unfortunately for Yagoda, he was a bit reluctant to put on the trial, as he didn't believe the charges being bandied about were real. This would eventually cost him his life, as he would be one of the featured defendants in the third Moscow show trial in 1938 but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Behind the scenes, Nikolai Yezhov was the one setting up the Zinoviev-Kamenev trial. 
This concerned Yagada, but he had a lot of other things on his plate. Stalin alleged that he received reports that correspondences from Trotsky were found in possession of someone arrested in an unrelated case. The main defendants here were Grigory Zinoviev and Lev Kamenev, old comrades of Lenin and party leaders of the first hour, but also supporters of Leon Trotsky and his struggle with Joseph Stalin in the 20s. The main charge was their membership in the so-called Trotsky-Zinoviev Center, an entirely fictitious organization. Zinoviev and Kamenev initially refused to confess, but Stalin assured them that if they did, they would not be executed. The real reason for the show trials was the faltering Soviet economy and the repression of the people. Things were not going well, and Stalin needed to find a scapegoat. By putting on these trials, it would redirect the people's ire toward a new enemy. Stalin's first focus, of course, was on two men he despised deeply, Lev Kamenev and Grigory Zinoviev. This comes as a surprise as the two men, along with Stalin, formed the triumvirate that marginalized Leon Trotsky. They would then turn around when, seeing the amount of power that Stalin was accumulating, they sided with Trotsky against the leader. This, of course, was a fatal decision. Stalin then moved to ally himself with Nikolai Bukharin to oust Kamenev and Zinoviev. This was his modus operandi, to work one side against the other, divide and conquer, and associate yourself with a future enemy. This would be the basis of the first of the trials, the Kamenev-Zinoviev trial. The Ryutin affair is one of the tools that Stalin used, along with Prosecutor General Andrei Vyshinsky. Martyman Ryutin was an old Bolshevik and a secretary of the Moscow City Communist Party in the 1920s. In June 1932, Ryutin wrote a pamphlet titled Appeal to All Members of the All-Union Communist Party, and a nearly 200-page document entitled Stalin and the Crisis of the Proletarian Dictatorship, also known as Ryutin's Platform. In these documents, the old Bolshevik called for an end to forced collectivization, talking about peace with the peasants, a slowing down of the forced industrialization, the reinstatement of all previously expelled party members on the left and on the right, including Leon Trotsky, that's a big mistake, and a fresh start. Obviously, Stalin could not tolerate this as he was busy consolidating his grip on power. Ryutin was arrested on September 23, 1932. On September 27, the Presidium of the Central Control Commission hastily convened to investigate and deal with the Ryutin group. 24 members of the CCC, including Jan Radzutak, Yemelian Yaroslavsky, Avil Yanukudze, Aaron Soltz, and Lenin's sister, Maria Elinovich Ulyanov, authorized the investigation to who the members of the Ryutin group were. Many of these committee members would later be part of the future show trials and executed. The committee's final report stated that the members of the union, as they called, were characterized, quote, 
as degenerate elements who have become the enemies of communism and of Soviet power, as traitors to the party and the working class, who have tried to form an underground bourgeois kulak organization under a fake Marxist-Leninist banner for the purpose of restoring capitalism in general and kulakdom in particular in the USSR. According to Stalin, their fates were obviously sealed, but more work needed to be done. So, first, all members, including Kamenev and Zinoviev, were expelled from the Communist Party. Then, just a little over two years later, Sergei Kirov was assassinated, or set up by Stalin, which led to the start of the Great Purge. Stalin had supposedly received information, as I mentioned before, that Trotsky was sending letters to those opposed to the leader. Nikolai Yezhov, quote-unquote, found the correspondence. Much to the surprise of NKVD boss Genrik Yagoda, he had no such information. In June 1936, Yagoda reiterated his belief to Stalin that there was no link between Trotsky and Zinoviev. But Stalin promptly rebuked him. The NKVD chief knew, deep down, that he was now in trouble. A number of supposed co-conspirators were arrested and tortured, many under the supervision of Stalin. They would confess that Kamenev, Zinoviev, and 14 others were involved in a conspiracy. The main charge was forming a terror organization with the purpose of killing Joseph Stalin and other members of the Soviet government. All of the defendants were sentenced to death and were subsequently shot in the cellars of the Lubyanka prison in Moscow by NKVD chief executioner Vasily Blokhin. Blokhin is one of history's cruelest killers of all time. He is said to have executed thousands of men by himself. Blokhin, under orders from Levanti Beria, was the chief executioner of Polish prisoners at the Katyn Forest Massacre. It was said that he would work 10 hours a night, shooting each victim in the back of the head with a German Walther pistol, as he didn't trust the Soviet-made TT-30. According to documents uncovered during the period of Glasnost under Gorbachev, Blokin shot 7,000 people making him the most prolific executioner in world history. He killed all of those people in just 28 days. As you can tell, Stalin and his policies brought out the worst in humankind. The first show trial was kind of absurd in many ways. Some of the confessions and evidence were clearly false. One example was the old Bolshevik Edward Holtzman, who was accused of conspiring with Trotsky and his son Sedov to assassinate the Soviet hierarchy in a meeting in Copenhagen at the Hotel Bristol in 1932, where Leon was supposedly giving a public lecture. A week after the trial, it was revealed by Danish social democratic newspapers that the hotel had been demolished in 1917. Stalin was furious with this stupid claim. He reportedly yelled, quote, what the devil did you need the hotel for? You would have had said railway station. The station is always there. Stalin was conveniently away from Moscow during the first trial. 
This was done to brush off any criticism of the boss by the people if the prosecution didn't go as planned. Still, as you might guess, he kept a running correspondence with both Lazar Kaganovich and Yezhov. It was essential to Stalin that the prosecutor and the judge make it clear during the, healing, in the hearings that, quote, the role of the Gestapo should be exposed in its full magnitude. Stalin knew that eventually he would have to face off against the Nazis, so he had to make them the bad guys early on. The lead prosecutor of the first show trial was Andrei Vyshensky. Even though he once signed an arrest warrant for Lenin, he would become a close associate of Joseph Stalin. Whatever the boss wanted, Vyshensky would provide. At the first trial, he would say this about the defendants. Shoot these rabid dogs. Death to this gang who hide their ferocious teeth, their eagle claws from the people. Down with that vulture Trotsky from whose mouth a bloody venom drips, putrefying the great ideals of Marxism. Down with these abject animals. Let's put an end once and for all to these miserable hybrids of foxes and pigs, these stinking corpses. Let's exterminate the mad dogs of capitalism. Want to tear the pieces, the flower of our new Soviet nation. Let's push the bestial hatred they bear our leaders back down their own throats. In a somewhat gruesome example of the degradation of both the executed and the executioners, when Kamenev and Zinoviev were shot, the bullets were, according to Montefiore, quote, dug out of their skulls, wiped clean of blood and pearly brain matter, and handled to Yagada, probably still worn. He further went on to write, Yagada labeled the bullets Kamenev and Zinoviev, and treasured these macabre but sacred relics, taking them home to be kept proudly with his collection of erotica and ladies' stockings. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be too long before Yagoda would suffer the same fate. The man who would replace him, Nikolai Yezhov, would keep the bullets until his death in the third show trial. As Sheila Fitzgerald puts it in her book on Stalin's team, quote, like any good suspense story, the scenario of the first Moscow show trial hinted at future sequels. There were suggestions of links with the right and a promising nerve center of a terrorist conspiracy involving former leftists, including Karl Radek and Yuri Pyatakov, was emerging in the interrogation testimonies. As she further tells us, on the last day of the trial, Prosecutor Vyshinsky made the startling announcement that as a result of compromising testimony offered in the trial just concluded, investigations would begin of Tomsky, Rykov, Bukharin, and Pyatakov. It was all set up to be this way by Stalin to rid himself of his potential rivals. The second show trial began on January 23, 1937, and would continue for seven days. This trial involved 17 old Bolsheviks, including Karl Radek, Yuri Pyatikov, Grigory Sokolnikov, and Leonid Serebrykov. These were all men who were crucial in the early days of the Bolshevik Revolution and the subsequent Russian Civil War.
Roddick would be critical in this trial as his confession, likely induced by torture, would implicate men like Bukharn, Alexei Rykov, Marshal Mikhail Tukhachevsky, setting the stage for the trial of military and trial of the 21. The case of the anti-Soviet Trotskyist center was another successful attempt by Stalin to rid himself of anyone who would challenge or question his ultimate authority. One of the ways that Stalin would breed fear into those he suspected of turning on him was to play kind of a cat-and-mouse game. One day he would denounce the person, and the next he would invite them to dinner. Another scheme was to arrest the wife of his target before going after the husband. One example of this during the show trial period was that of Yuri Pyatikov. His wife was arrested in July 1936 because of her so-called connections to Leon Trotsky. As Montefiore records, quote, Shortly before the Zinoviev trial, Yezhev summoned Pyatikov, read him all the affidavits implicating him in Trotskyist terrorism, and informed him that he was relieved of his job as deputy commissioner. Pyatikov offered to prove his innocence by asking to be personally allowed to shoot all those sentenced to death at his trial, including his former wife, and to publish this in the press. As a Bolshevik, he was willing to even execute his own wife. Another friend of Stalin had also had enough of the arrests of the old Bolsheviks, many of whom were longtime comrades. Sergo Orjanokidze was upset his brother had been arrested, as well as Avel Enukidze. Anastas Mikoyan remembered Orjanokidze saying the following about Stalin. We were such close friends, and suddenly he allows this sort of thing to be done. It disturbed Orjanokidze so much that he went home and shot himself on the eve of the Central Committee plenum. In the second trial, the setup for the third trial and another purge, that of army officers, was offered up by Roddick in his so-called confession. He said that there was, quote, a third organization separate from the cadres which had passed through Trotsky school, as well as semi-Trotskyists, quarter-Trotskyists, one-eighth Trotskyists, people who helped us, not knowing of the terrorist organization, but sympathizing with us, people who, from liberalism, from a front against the party, gave us this help. Although I'm not going to go into depth about the military trials and purges, since I will do this at a later date, it should be noted that German intelligence fueled much of the suspicion of the leaders of the Red Army to eliminate many of the officers before invading Soviet Union. The evidence they leaked was that Marshal Tukhachevsky was planning a coup. While this was carefully not presented at the trial, it did influence Stalin's mindset. He viewed the military as his greatest potential enemy and threat. Also, unlike the, the Moscow show trials, the military, or Tukhachevsky affair, it was held in secret. Stalin didn't want the Germans to know what he was doing to his own army. The last and most absurd of the show trials was known as the case of the anti-Soviet bloc of rightists and Trotskyites, 
of the Trial of the Twenty-One. The biggest target of them all was Nikolai Bukharin, although men like Yagoda, Alexei Rykov, Nikolai Krestinsky, and Christian Rakovsky were important. Stalin really needed to get rid of Bukharin. The charges brought against the men included murdering Sergei Kirov, Valerian Kupachev, state political director at OGBQ, uh, Chair Vyacheslav Menzhensky, and writer Maxim Gorky and his son. They were also accused of unsuccessfully trying to assassinate Lenin, Stalin, and Yakov Sverdlov in 1918. They were plotting to assassinate Sverdlov again. Vyacheslav Molotov, Lazar Kaganovich, Clement Voroshilov, and, once again, Stalin. They were also conspiring to wreck the economy by sabotaging mines, derailing trains, killing cattle, deliberately organizing deficit of food products, and putting nails and glasses in butter, and the country's military power. They were also accused of spying for British, French, Japanese, and German intelligence agencies. And finally, they were making secret agreements with Germany and Japan, promising to surrender Belarus, Ukraine, Central Asia, and the Russian Far East to foreign powers. While there was opposition to Stalin, the truth is that the real chance of anyone pulling off a coup or removing the Soviet leader disappeared in 1933. Stalin just couldn't allow anyone to voice any opposition to him. Something in his psyche wouldn't allow criticism or even perceived criticism. What is remarkable about Bukharin being put on trial at all is that Stalin allowed him to escape the Soviet Union. Bukharin was sent to Paris by Stalin in February 1936 to negotiate the purchase of the Marx and Engels archives held by the German Social Democratic Party before its dissolution by Hitler. His young wife, Anna Lorena, joined him, which opened the possibility of exile. Still, he decided against it, saying he could not live outside the Soviet Union. Stupidly, in conversations with Boris Nikolaevsky in Paris, Bukharin called Stalin a devil. He also admitted to French leftist writer André Malraux that Stalin would kill him if he returned to the USSR. Stalin was likely made aware of these comments by Bukharin. He was arrested on February 27, 1937. At the trial, in his final speech, Bukharin was to have said, quote, While in prison, I made a reevaluation of my entire past. For when you ask yourself, if you must die, what are you dying for? An absolute black vacuity suddenly rises before you with startling vividness. There was nothing to die for if one wanted to die unrepented. The prosecutor, Vyzhensky, yelled in court, Shoot the mad dogs! Many were executed immediately after the end of the trial. Of the 21 on trial, 18 got the death sentence. Three survived, although death might have been preferable. Pletnyov was sentenced to 25 years in prison, Rakovsky to 20, and Besanov to 15 years of hard labor in the gulag system. 
Vasily Blokin, as we might guess, the chief executioner of the NKVD, conducted all 18 of the executions personally. The tragedy didn't end with the death of the defendants. It continued on towards their families and relatives. Any grown-up sons would be shot, and wives and ex-wives would be arrested and sent to the gulag. Young children would be put into orphanages under new names. What Stalin got out of the show trials was the fear of everyone around him that no one was safe. He made it known to his inner circle that some of them had been mentioned in the confessions of those found guilty. Hearing that from their boss must have sent shivers down their spines. Those around the remaining loyalists would be victims of the fear-mongering by Stalin. From Sheila Fitzgerald, quote, The stoic and loyal Molotov is a prime example. After his German tutor was arrested, his daughter's German nanny followed. His closest friend, Alexander Arosev, was arrested in, in July 1937 and executed six months later. Of his four deputies, Rodzutak and Antipov were arrested by the middle of 1937, with Valery Mezlok following in December and Chubar in mid-1938. The show trials were over, and the Great Purge was coming to an end. But Stalin needed a new scapegoat to bring all this murder to a conclusion. Also, there was significant international skepticism about this last trial because of some of the absurd and ridiculous charges and evidence presented. For some prominent former communists, such as Bertram Wolff, Jay Lovestone, Arthur Kessler, and Heinrich Brandler, the Bukharan trial marked their final break from communism. It turned the first three into ardent anti-communists. Stalin needed to blunt his personal responsibility for it. So, what better person than the head of the NKVD to take the blame? Nikolai Yezhov was arrested on April 10, 1939. Months previous, he knew he was in deep trouble and began to drink himself to death almost. Lavrenti Beria had been given control of the NKVD. Yezhov knew the routine, get a job, lose a job, get arrested, and lose their life. Yezhov Shashina was the term used by the Soviet press to describe the Great Purge and the Moscow show trials. While Yezhov's arrest and subsequent execution were not made public, Stalin made it known that certain elements with the NKVD had overstepped their bounds and were guilty of taking things too far. The people were too frightened to believe anything other than what Stalin had told them. It was not the end of the show trials, but it was the end of this series of them. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we cover a much brighter and more artsy subject. The history of one of the world's greatest museums, the Hermitage. So, until next time, das vidanya y spasiba za mania.